Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Well, hello, friends and fellow travelers. What is going on? Today is Thursday. It's the 11th of May, 2022. Let's go ahead and get our contact info posted, and then we'll jump in with the show. And on the show today, we're going to be talking a lot about the ATF and uh, the overreach that they have. So if you'd like to contact me and you want to have something maybe played out on the show, you want me to have a read an email for you, or if you've got some audio that you're recording, you want me to play it for you, you can send that to me at firearmscafe at protonmail.com. If you go over to my website, which is firearmscafe.com, you can find all my social media stuff. There's a donation button there if you ever wanted to support the show. Financially, if you wanted to support the show in another way, you can just share it with your friends. Do reviews, leave reviews on uh, my iTunes or any other thing where you can do reviews. All right, that is enough of that stuff. Let's jump in with the show. So let's talk a little bit about what is going on with the ATF and and what is going on in a, and uh, since I guess the ruling that we got from Bruin. And with that, we've had a lot of victories. We've had a lot of steps forward. And I had talked about some of this stuff on the previous show. We also talked about Chevron deference and the, I believe it's called the rule of lenity. And uh, just to, to go over that real quick and to summarize it, and I may not have it exactly right, but the way that I, I think that it works is that when an agency, and in this case it would be, uh, we'll talk specifically maybe about ATF, when they are looking at something that is, uh, maybe that would be a criminal matter, but it is unclear, the rule of lenity would state that it would go in favor of the person, uh, so not not the agency, so that if they would say, well, there's this certain rule and, and we're looking at changing that rule and it may make this person into a criminal or you can interpret it one way to say that, yeah, if they do A, B, and C, then they're going to be a criminal. But you could say, man, it's really vague. It doesn't really seem to say that in the statute or in the uh, even in the... Um, the opinion maybe that that agency has. And so then they would say, well, because there could be a criminal penalty, then the rule of lenity would apply. And it, so much like in pistol braces or or uh, things like that, where they said, well, you can have it and now you can't, it would seem that they would say that they would have to say, well, uh, you can't just say it's, it's fine one day and then the next day. Uh, you are going to prosecute people and put people in prison when there hasn't been anything from the legislative branch of government. It's not that they can't change interpretation, but then you can't, from my understanding, you can't go after somebody and criminalize them. Now, the idea of Chevron deference would be that the agency would have maybe enforcement 
authority over something uh, so that they could interpret certain things. And that's where they would be able to say, well, we, we can regulate certain types of firearms, uh, just that the regulation of those firearms falls under us, but we may not be able to go out and do um, prosecution, but our opinion actually counts. And I think that's what it would mean to do Chevron deference. So where do we stand with uh, things like the pistol brace? Where do we stand? And I believe that is going to be May 31st, so coming up here in 20 days. If you have a pistol brace and you haven't destroyed it, basically, um, or taken it off, anything that you have, let's say if you had an AK pistol or something like that and you had a pistol brace on there or an AR pistol and you had one on there, on the 31st, if you don't take it off, and from my understanding, and, and I this is what I'm unclear on, and this was this would bar any other um, court rulings or anything like that, or if there's any stays that come up, and I don't, I I think there probably will be. I thought under one interpretation, it seemed like that you would be able to have it. You would actually be able to have the brace and your possession of it, as long as you didn't put it on anything, would get rid of sort of constructive intent. And I think you could probably make the same argument. You could say, well, my, uh, my pistol that I have I've got an AR pistol and I also have an AR rifle and I can switch if I wanted to I could take the AR lower right from the from the rifle and I could put that upper the, the less than 16 inch barreled upper and stick it on on that if I wanted to but I'm but I'm not going to because uh, I'm going to keep that on my AR pistol lower I don't know then how that's not why how you don't have constructive intent. So let's say if you had two AR rifles and one AR pistol, in theory you have the constructive ability to just take your upper off of the pistol what's what's deemed your pistol lower and just pop it right onto the AR rifle lower. And then it's got the stock. It's got all that other stuff on there if you wanted it to do it that way. So, again, I don't know why just you have it. As long as you didn't have it on your pistol, I, I would think that it would be good enough. Now, they may not interpret it that way, and they may want to try and go after that. Or they may want to say it's part of a... Um, of a strategy of, oh, well, we'll allow that. Like, you can still keep it, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? And if we and then they would say we would only prosecute you if you if it was ever found you were found to be actually in possession of a AR pistol lower that had the brace on it. And again, a lot of this stuff is just going to depend on what's going to happen here over the next uh, few months. You know, are there going to be actual prosecutions, things like that? So I don't know what's going to happen with the pistol brace. Again, it's. it's uh, I'm not seeming to see a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, when you go to look at it, a lot of these people, especially some of these uh, 
YouTube guys and people that write articles, they title them in such a way to make them clickbaity. They'll say things like, you know, the, uh, the NFA no longer can regulate silencers. Well, they're talking about an, a, uh, an individual state, let's say like Texas or Arizona or something, is trying to pass some legislation. And a lot of times when you go in and you actually listen to these videos or you read these articles, it's, oh, yeah, they're, they're pushing it through and it's going to get through their state house and the state senate, but their governor is anti-gun and they're going to veto it anyway. Uh, and that's what we're seeing a lot too, even on the federal level. But let's kind of jump back from there and let's talk a little bit about a guy who was a YouTuber and his name was Matthew Hoover. And he had, what was his site called? C O C R S firearms or something like that. I can't remember his actual thing. I think it's CRS Firearms. So I think that's the, the name of uh, uh, Matthew Hoover's channel. So anyway, there was a thing, what they were calling the auto key card. Basically what it was, it was a uh, credit card sized piece of metal that had a, a laser etching of a device that if you cut it out and if you filed it down and if you got the angles right and if you put it together in the right way and if you had a particular lower that was designed for this and if you had the right kind of bolt carrier then there is a possibility that you might be able to get it to alter the internal workings of an AR-15 to where it could engage in fully automatic fire. So you would pull and hold back the trigger and it's going to do its sorcery inside the gun and uh, it'll fire until you release the trigger. So there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts there. And a little bit of the backstory maybe for some of you guys that don't know so anyway they, these guys they made this card or uh, uh, the guy that made the card was a guy named Christopher Irvin and he was designing them the, the story goes I guess he was trying to sell them more as kind of quote-unquote novelties or uh, free speech sculpture uh, that type of thing or they would be a pen holder, or they would be a uh, maybe a bottle opener, or something like that. And because that was the intent, the original intent was not to be something that could do that, but it was maybe originally set up to where, yeah, you know, there's in in all possibility you you might be able to do that. Um, I suppose you could say, well, what would be the difference in having a piece of paper with those same designs on it? that you could uh, glue onto uh, a piece of metal and then cut it out that way. You know, I, again, for me, I don't know. I don't really know why. Maybe because it's an actual thing that you could alter into that. So in theory, you wouldn't be able to alter the piece of paper to, to be able to do it. Um, I, you know, I don't know. So anyway, I, I, I was doing a little bit of research and I went on the uh, 
the site for the United States Attorney's Office, and this is the Middle District of Florida. And there is a press release that they have, and this is dated back from April 21st of 2023. And I'm going to read some of that stuff. And what we're going to do is we're going to go over that. So, but before we do that, and again, this is on my part, I, I don't know 100% that some of the information that I'm going to relay is 100% factual, but supposedly you had, and, and we'll, we'll kind of get over that, get over this stuff. So supposedly you have this guy, is Christopher Irvin. He comes up with this thing, wants to sell it. He's not getting a whole lot of sales. So he goes over and scouts out, I don't know if, if uh, um, Matthew Hoover, or Hoover, excuse me, who has the CRS Firearms channel, if he was the only YouTuber that he approached or if he approached others and others said, nah, I don't want to do it. Or if this was just the first guy that had kind of a sizable channel and he said, hey, do you want to help me sell these things? So supposedly the story goes is that Hoover, who has a um, FFL, a federal, federal firearms license and an SOT, which I forget off the top of my head what that stands for. But an SOT is something that allows you to uh, produce or to design fully automatic weapons, from my understanding. I don't know that it would allow you to sell them, but I think it would allow you to possess them and try and do development work so that you could say, well, you know, I, I want to try and design a better MP5 or I want to design a modern... Um, you know, small automatic pistol that maybe the Secret Service could use, blah, 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 you know, whatever you're going to do. And so that type of license, I think, and I could be wrong, would allow you to sort of develop that stuff. Now, you couldn't sell that stuff because it would all be new manufacturer, but I think you could possess older uh, machine guns. You could, you could possess things that would be considered machine gun parts. And you as the individual, as long as you weren't selling those things, you wouldn't, in theory, be in, in trouble. So anyway, he supposedly, once he was contacted, uh, this is who, once Hoover had been contacted by Irvin, he supposedly contacted Hoover, supposedly contacted the local ATF office in his area and said, hey, I'm looking to sell these things or, or, or to list these for sale or advertise this stuff. Or would you guys consider these things to be illegal or machine gun parts? And what supposedly, again, he was told is no, they're not. Later, I guess that changed. So anyway, uh, we'll go ahead and, and we'll start. So, But I do think that part is important, that he did go to that, especially in Hoover's part, he did go to the government and just at least try and make sure that it wasn't... Uh, he wasn't doing anything wrong because for him, he would be in jeopardy of losing both of those licenses, which I'm sure is part of the way that he makes his living. So let's read this. And again, this is dated from uh, Friday, April 21st of 2023. And it is from the 
United States Attorney's Office, Middle District of Florida, and this is a press release, and it is entitled, Federal Jury Convicts Two Men for Conspiring to Transfer Unregistered Machine Gun Conversion Devices Disguised as, quote, penholders, close quote. Jacksonville, Florida, United States Attorney Roger B. Hanberg announces that a federal jury today found Christopher Irving, 43, of Orange Park, and Matthew Hoover, 39, of Wisconsin, guilty of conspiring to transfer unregistered machine gun conversion devices that they referred to as auto key cards. Additionally, Irvin was convicted of seven counts of transferring unregistered machine gun conversion devices, three counts, of possessing unregistered machine gun conversion devices and one count of structuring cash transaction to avoid currency transaction reporting requirements. Hoover, the other guy, Matthew Hoover, was also convicted of four counts of transferring unregistered machine gun conversion devices. Irvin faces a maximum penalty of 110 years in federal prison and Hoover faces a maximum penalty of 45 years in federal prison. The sentencing hearing is scheduled for July 31st of 2023. Irvin was first charged on March 2nd of 2021, and Hoover on January 26th of 2022. Both Irvin and Hoover have been remanded to the custody of the U.S. Marshal Service, so Let's look at that. <laughs> if these guys get those maximum sentences, right? Irvin basically dies in prison. And Hoover, let's cuz he's he's uh, four, 39 now. I don't know if if he would be 40, but let's say by the time all this rolls around he's 40. He'd be 85 years old. If you're in prison, most people don't live to be 85 years old, the stress, the, the poor medical conditions, the, the, the terrible food, all that other stuff. Basically, he dies in prison. And I don't know if he, how much of a, a sentence he would have, but let's say again, they say, no, you're going to do your full 45. So, um, and that goes again back to some of the stuff that we were talking about on the last show, which uh, if we look at the Eighth Amendment, and part of the Eighth Amendment the Constitution says that, um, I'll just read the whole thing, excessive bail shall not be required nor excessive fines imposed nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Uh, so again, I think you could probably make an argument that the punishment here doesn't really fit the crime, especially when there is no victim. None of these devices were actually used in the furtherance of crime. Uh, so I, I don't know how you would you could possibly levy those maximum sentences. And again, they're talking about maximum sentence. And again, this is is being reported from and on a government website. The larger part of this, I guess, is what we want to talk about is that there is there is going to be a grain of truth in everything that they say, but so much is going to be left out, and so much of the context of it to where if you 
had every all the information given to you, you would say, well, well, wait a minute, that what you said happened didn't really happen. So let's go on. Let's continue reading here. It said, according to testimony and evidence presented at trial in January 2021, Irvin's bank contacted the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosive, uh, parenthetically ATF, to report that employees believed that Irvin was trafficking in machine gun conversion devices. Subsequent investigation revealed that Irwin was running an online business selling machine gun conversion devices known as lightning links etched into metal cards, which he referred to as auto key cards. Irvin described the auto key card as a, quote, pen holder, close quote, a, quote, novelty, close quote, and a, quote, political sculpture, close quote. A lightning link can be dropped into an otherwise legal AR-15 type firearm and convert it into a fully automatic machine gun. So again, there's some stuff to unpack there. When they say according to testimony and evidence, that's just, you know, like in any court, it's just what whatever somebody says and whatever the, the prosecutor says. Um, the, the problem is what is the standard for that testimony and what is the standard for that evidence and how do you say, okay, this is legitimate or this is not. When they said that, so, so number one, the first thing that really sticks out to me is that a bank employee contacted the ATF. So that is probably true in, in that what probably happened first was either the, the ATF got a hold of the IRS or got a hold of the Treasury Department, who, and I think that's who the IRS is under, and then they went to that bank and said, hey, if you see any of this type of stuff on this guy's account, let us know. Uh, he, this guy may be engaging in criminal activity. So I'm sure they were able to say, oh, okay, well, on this date he did A, B, and C, and it looks like he did sell one of these things, and, and uh, so we're going to contact you. But the way that they have it written there, they make it seem like, oh, there was this Johnny-on-the-spot investigator at uh, Irwin's bank, or Irvin, whatever his name is. And that guy just said, hey, ATF, looks like this guy is selling stuff to make machine guns. And as my part of my civic duty, I'm going to call and let you know that there's some wrongdoing going on. So again, I don't think that's what happened at all. I, I'm sure that the bank had been contacted previously by, again, ATF or IRS or the Treasury Department or the Justice Department, some, some, something like that to get this stuff going. So in February of 2021, federal agents from ATF and the United States Postal Inspection Service, which their little acronym is USPIS, so UPIS. Oh, isn't that great? They surveilled Irvin and observed him dropping off dozens of packages at an Orange Park, Florida post office, each of which was determined to contain unregistered machine gun conversion devices. So basically what they were able to do 
because this guy was sending stuff out through the mail, the ATF contacted the post office, their inspection service, probably had some kind of a warrant to be able to search and say, hey, we suspect this is going on, blah, 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 blah. And then they were able to intercept those packages, open them up. And so that's how they were able to determine those. Uh, the ATF examined the auto key card and a firearms enforcement officer was able to... So I'll, I'll jump in here real quick. So the firearms enforcement officer is basically their, uh, what we would term expert, that he can, uh, I guess maybe kind of like in layman's terms, we would consider him maybe a, a, a gunsmith or somebody who is... Uh, very familiar with firearms, how they work, how they're supposed to work, what would be maybe a malfunction as opposed to uh, uh, a legitimate conversion, that type of thing. And that person would be able to say, well, yeah, this you, know, you can just drop this in pretty easy. It's not really hard to do. And then it will make it function reliably as a, uh, a machine gun. And we'll, and we'll notice later on that that term is never used. They, they never say that it's reliable or that it, even the stuff was even repeatable. And we'll talk about that stuff when we get to it here in just a second. So again, the ATF examined the auto key cards and a firearms enforcement officer was able to remove the pieces of uh, a lightning link. And again, so it's lightning link, auto key card, uh, Machine gun conversion device would all be the same thing to them. Uh, was able to uh, remove the pieces of a lightning link from an auto key card using a common Dremel rotary tool in about 40 minutes. When the firearms enforcement officer placed the two pieces of the lightning link into an AR-15 type firearm, it converted the semi-automatic firearm to be fully automatic. Now, is there a grain of truth in that? Maybe. What I have been told through uh, a source that I believe is probably credible, and this is through, through doing some research, and so the person that was making these points, I believe this person and think that they're credible. What he said was, is that uh, some information came out that what happened was is this firearm expert, so the guy who is, you know, Joe, uh, the ATF gunsmith type guy who can, who, who again is is determined by ATF to be the expert and recognized to be an expert by the courts. More importantly, that it took this guy 40 minutes. He was able to kind of cut the thing out using a Dremel tool. It doesn't really say then what else he used. It just said he was able to cut maybe the pattern pieces out. It doesn't say whether he then went on to weld stuff or had to machine things or file things down or bend them or do things, that type of thing. All it said is it took him about 40 minutes just to cut the pieces out. It also, um, the, the, uh, the information that was relayed also stated that the ATF expert tried them with four separate, we'll just call them auto key cards, could only get one to actually assemble correctly. And once they placed that one inside a lower, it actually didn't reliably fire 
all it basically did was it called it, it caused a malfunction called I think it's called a hammer follow and I'm not a hundred percent sure on that but I think it it did cause the sear maybe not to engage but all it did was it let the hammer kind of pop up but I don't think it would have cycled um, and I because I think had they had it been able to cycle you would have actually seen video of this stuff and uh, I'm getting a text here so from my understanding it didn't really do what they were saying it was doing so what it what it leads the person who would read this or any type of press release that's going to go out to other things is yeah this guy was able to easily do this it took him about 40 minutes he just threw it in and then all of a sudden he was just out there you know just like brah, 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 just causing mayhem and that's not actually what happened Uh, it goes on to talk a little bit more about Hoover and says Hoover operated a YouTube channel called CRS Firearms on which he advertised the auto key cards in his videos. Hoover stated that laws only work if we, quote, laws only work if we follow them, close quote, and encouraged his viewers to use, quote, discreet ordering, quote, by mail purchase auto key cards, by mail, oh, excuse me, uh, use discreet ordering by mail to purchase auto key cards. Hoover stated that his viewers could cut out a lightning link of the auto key card, quote, drop it in your receiver, scratch your full auto itch, throw it away, and then you're done, close quote, and quote, no one is the wiser, quote. So again, it's important to note when they're doing the quotes because that's when they're, you would probably actually be able to go and, and pull those exact phrases out of those videos whether they're in full context or whether it gives the context in which he was saying that stuff yeah who knows uh, it goes on to state that hoover's video uh, hoover's videos advertising the auto key card led to a substantial increase in irvin sales irvin sold more than 2,000 auto key cards in only a few months again a few months what does that mean does that mean two months does that mean 12 months does that mean 24 months who, who knows Multiple purchasers of the auto key card, and here's an important part, testified at trial that they had learned about it from Hoover's videos and purchased the auto key card intending to use it to convert their AR-15 type weapons into machine guns. So ask yourself this, why would you ever admit to that? If you bought one of those things, why wouldn't you say, look, I don't even have the skills to do this. I never intended to do that. It was basically a a form of protest. It's part of my sec, uh, my uh, my First Amendment right to protest what I feel is an infringement on my Second Amendment right. I I had no intention of doing this. I bought this purely as a novelty, and I thought that you really couldn't convert it. That there's really no way for me to to convert this to where it's uh, uh, takes my AR-15 and turns it into a, a, a fully auto rifle and in fact my my lower isn't it's even if you drop this thing in it still won't do it it's, it's not the type of lower that you would need the reason that they got some of those people to do it is because they scared the uh, the fire out of those people and they probably threatened them with 10 years in federal prison and so that's why they did it and so i'm sure these people that testified and said that their intent was to do that why would you admit to that 
unless you're going to have some type of immunity, unless they're offering them some type of deal, right? They're going to say, well, you can admit to this, and if we convict you, we're only going to convict you of some weird misdemeanor, and you're still going to have all your firearms rights. We're not going to take all this stuff away from you, but we need you to testify against these guys. And if you don't, you're going to lose everything. We're going to come after you full force of the law, and we are going to bury you under the jail, and you're never going to see the light of day. And, and again, the thing that they, and that's, and also it's important to say that they learned about it. They would have otherwise not have known. They never would have figured it out had it not been for Hoover's video. So again, that's for a part of that conspiracy thing I sure is going to come for. It also goes on to say that Irvin compensated Hoover for his advertisements by sending cash through the mail, which is important. That's why the, the post office could be involved. And on one occasion, the Louis Vuitton purse, again, that's important because what they're going to say is that's a way to hide a transaction, right? It's a way to hide a, a cash transaction. In March of 2021, federal agents executed a search warrant at Irvin's home and recovered some auto key cards containing etchings for more than 1,500 lightning links. This case was invested by ATF, the Postal Inspection Service, and the IRS, Internal Revenue Service, dash criminal investigation unit. It is being prosecuted by the assistant United States attorneys, Laura Kofer Taylor and David Mesrobian. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, this case is part, now here's, here's the big kicker too. This case is part of the Project Safe Neighborhood PSN program, bringing together all levels of law enforcement and the communities they serve to reduce violent crime and gun violence and to make our neighborhoods safer for everyone. On May 26, 2021, the department launched a, which I guess is, uh, I'm not sure which department, is it the ATF, I, I guess, launched a violent crime reduction strategy strengthening PSN, which is Project Safe Neighborhoods, based on these core principles, fostering trust and legitimacy in our communities. Really, this is what you're doing to foster trust. You're basically railroading people and threatening them with with long prison sentences. Supporting community-based organizations that help prevent violence from occurring in the first place. No, they're not. Setting focused strategic enforcement priorities and measuring the results. So basically all that last stuff is uh, just a bunch of buzzwords and gobbledygook trying to justify railroading of American citizens. Again, this stuff sets precedent. Don't poke the bear. Don't speak out. Don't do any of this type of thing. Uh, or we're going to come after you and we're going to bury you. And there's nothing you're going to be able to do. Again, you have to ask yourself, how is it possible that when you look at the, uh, the federal government's prosecution, when you look at their rate of prosecution, how is it possible that they have something like a, I used to know the exact number, but it's, it's, it's like 90, 93 to 98%, something like that. It's in the high 90s of conviction rate. That, so, you, so you're telling me that, that basically nobody who ever gets brought up by the Fed, to the federal courts is innocent. Nobody has ever been charged erroneous, erroneously. Every single one. And again, it's it's the way that they prosecute. And we can go in and maybe talk about that uh, at, a, at another term. But I did want to at least bring some of this stuff up. So anyway, show will be maybe uh, coming to a close here, I guess. I was going to say maybe be a little bit shorter, but it's probably not too short. Uh, 
probably going to still be right around that 30 minute mark or so. So if you want to voice your opinion, send me that stuff to Firearms Cafe at ProtonMail, P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. And if it's a audio recording, I'll play your opinions on the show. If it is a email, I will read it out for you. All right, my friends and fellow travelers, my friends and fellow travelers, there we go. I will talk to you guys next time.